You've found the place where healthcare's foremost leaders, thinkers, doers all come to share, to inspire, and to build a better healthcare world, one idea at a time. This is Patient No Longer. Welcome in. I'm Ryan Donahue, thought leader, author, and strategic advisor with NRC Health and host of Patient No Longer, the podcast in search of what's new, what's next, and what's making healthcare more human. Welcome back to another episode of the Patient No Longer podcast. I have with me what feels like an old friend. I've got Corby Miller today. Corby, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ryan, for having me. Well, Corby's the Vice President of Experience, Safety, and Quality Operations at Prisma Health. She has developed and implemented patient experience systems at scale, which we're going to talk about today. Prisma Health is a great example as well because it's the largest healthcare provider in the state of South Carolina. You serve over a million and a half patients. You've got 18 acute and specialty hospitals, over 300 provider practices. You guys are big. You've got a great background, Corby, in terms of an extensive coaching and performance improvement background. So I want to start with one of the phrases I've heard you say in the past. System work is culture work. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? That's a great question. System work is culture work really stems from a lot of times in healthcare, and I would say in most organizations, and you've heard it a lot during the pandemic, focus on your people and improve culture. And a lot of people don't really know what that means. It could be focusing on wellness. It could be focusing on work-life balance. What can we do to make it to where our teams really want to come to work every day? We would argue that if you don't have a system in place that enables your teams to have a great experience delivering care, for example, in healthcare, then everything that you're doing, not that it's not well intended, may fall flat. You might not get the biggest bang for your buck, so to speak, with the efforts that you're putting in towards your people if you don't have strong systems to support that. So I'm going to give you an example. Sure. In safety, I'm at the front line. I'm a nurse. And I, during my time with a patient one day, I realized that there is something that we need to change as a system to mitigate risk to that patient in the future. So I might escalate that to my nurse manager. The nurse manager might escalate it then to the CNO and to the CEO, and maybe it's a equipment issue. And so the CEO or whoever at the hospital goes through the process of reaching out to IT, puts in a ticket, and it might take days, and we don't even know this could be happening across the system. But over time, that nurse might continue to escalate things, but if things don't get handled at all, and there's no closed loop communication, if it takes a long time, then what starts to happen? That person stops escalating things. Not because they don't want to, but because they've tried in the past and it's been unsuccessful. And I would argue it's not unsuccessful because the CEO didn't want to make it work, but there wasn't a system in place to get it handled quickly. If you have a tiered escalation huddle process, for example, that goes all the way to the enterprise every day, and those issues now escalate to the enterprise, now we're able to say, wow, this issue now is everywhere. Maybe there's five hospitals this is happening at, and IT's on that enterprise call and can handle it like that in less than 24 hours. Guess what starts to happen? Now your teams are escalating things because they know they're going to be handled. The culture emerges from that of, I can speak up. And I know when I speak up, my organization cares because they handle it. That's what we mean by system work is culture work. When you change systems, it literally changes the behavior of your teams and their feeling of being able to contribute. That issue of escalating something and not having something happen and not getting the response you want. I think you're also really talking about trust. Yes. And you and I have had conversations about trust before because 
when the system does work right, as you laid out in your example, then people trust the ability that they'll say something and something will happen. Let's talk about trust in the context of 2023, because you hear a lot of people, I'm going off research here, I'm going into the circles of healthcare leaders and folks that are gathered around saying, oh, people just don't trust us like they used to, or we're a less trusting society in America. How do you feel about that? And if someone's listening and they want to take stock in that, or they want to build trust both inside their organization and with patients that will be coming in from the outside, where do we stand with trust? I would say most people would think it's more difficult today. And I would say there's an opportunity for us to build trust even in that environment. We've done that during the pandemic, during a time when healthcare was in its most challenging phase probably in recent history on so many levels. And we were able to put systems in place that led to better outcomes, even in a challenging time. So we were building trust in our organization and in our community. We're seeing likelihood to recommend better than it's ever been in our organization during a challenging time. So what I would say is it's possible to build trust even in the challenging times that healthcare faces with limited resources economically. And it's possible. I do think it's more challenging, but it's crucial. And we say a lot in our organization that experience leads to trust and trust leads to better health outcomes. We literally say that all the time. And in fact, our CEO says it all the time now because we really do believe it as an organization. And it's helping us to do things differently for the organization, even in terms of financially. When we are building trust with our communities and we're able to demonstrate that they see us that way as well. Well, and that's so powerful, too, because you're putting trust in a way and you're placing it where it belongs, which is this significant amplifier of why experience is important. And we always talk about outcomes, mm -hmm. but sometimes we talk about them in very disparate ways. And so you're using trust as a, a connector and really a conduit there. And I think this is also getting at something that I want you to dig in on in terms of what you've built at Prisma Health. And you call your organization a learning organization. And I think a lot of organizations would say, yeah, we learn things and uh, you know, we bring in people and you know, we read books, and all these things. But that's not really what you mean. What do you mean when you say Prisma Health is a learning organization? We actually say it's a learning and improvement organization. And the reason why we say that is if we're really an organization that wants to constantly evolve and get better, then we have to be a learning and improvement organization. We can't stay stagnant. Now, a lot of organizations try to operationalize that, and we've done that through our Pulse program, and we're calling that our learning and improvement program. By branding a program and bringing the ecosystem of healthcare together in a very concentrated way, in a very focused way, branded, and we call it Pulse at our organization, we're now bringing all the elements of learning. So there's so many different ways we learn in healthcare, right? Think of all of the different vendors we use to gather information from patients, from our team members, information that we get from safety and quality metrics, structured and unstructured data. We're getting a lot of data. We just don't have a great way in healthcare of bringing it all together so that our frontline team members know what to do with that data to make meaningful improvements across the organization. So what we're doing as part of building a learning and improvement system, branded, very intentionally branded, we're creating a mechanism and enabling our teams to be able to know what to focus on and what's most important. And by doing that, we're literally becoming a very intentional learning and improving organization. We're saying, we're going to bring it all together for you, the front line. You don't have to worry about going finding it. We're going to put it together in a system for you. 
so that you know exactly where to go on not just knowing how we're doing on the things that matter most, but how to improve. So it's the improvement piece of it too, because I think that can get lost in the chaos of healthcare too, of knowing where's this playbook for that? Where's that playbook for this? And does everybody even know about the playbook? That's what we're trying to accomplish with the Pulse program. Well, and just adding and improvement, that's really important because you think about perhaps a, an organization that's learning things, but they're not able to do something with it because if you say there's an array of things, and we know that at NRC Health where uh, we'll have contacts and colleagues who are trying to sift through all those things, you've tied it all together internally with the express purpose of learning and improving. I have to ask you about the intentional branding. Mm -hmm. This is also something we miss on the inside. When we think of branding, we just go external and we skip right over our organization. We skip over all the people in our organization and start thinking about creative and colors and ads and those sort of things. You branded this program with the intentionality that folks that work there will be part of this experience. How did you take time to do that? If someone's listening and saying, I want to do that too, nothing internally is branded. What are some steps that they could take to make sure that they can do that as well? Yes. I'm glad you're asking this question. Outside of healthcare, things get branded all the time. So if you think of a Marriott, for example, if they engage with any vendors, their vendor name isn't on anything. It's Marriott, right? So to all their internal teams, to their customers, it's Marriott. We don't do that in healthcare. And so to our teams, everything is disparate, like I was mentioning before. And so by branding it, the team is now rallied around for us, Pulse. Everything is Pulse. Pulse tech stack, Pulse rounding, Pulse learning collaboratives. So now they're connecting. It's all part of the same operating system. So for them, it feels good that it's not feeling disconnected. And now as an organization, we can switch out vendors at any point in time. To them, it's still Pulse rounding. We can use any vendor solution we want, but still Pulse rounding. We can switch out any EMR we want, use CERN or use Epic, but it's still Pulse Dash. So to them, they're learning the system and they don't have to worry about the vendor relationship. So branding is so important for keeping things as seamless as possible for our teams and our patients. But really the branding here is for our internal teams. Patients not seeing Pulse program outside the organization. It's our teams. And how much do your teams you know, appreciate that you've considered them as an audience? Mm. And, and when you describe that, Corby, the other really interesting thing in my mind is you're describing the exact challenge of managing those internal programs and components and things that can be quite disparate if you don't intentionally pull them together. That's the same branding challenge we have externally when we have different service lines in different locations. And you guys are large enough to know there's a lot of doors that you can walk through to become a patient these days. I have to ask you on the flip side of that, we've talked trust. Trust is a, a huge mm -hmm. outcome and a huge thing to watch in terms of branding. Where are we at in healthcare branding? to consumers mm. externally. I'm just curious, your take, 2023 is a weird time to be trying to connect with people after so much COVID messaging and branding. Where do we stand right now? And I suppose as well, how have you guys taken on the external brand challenge? So we have a fantastic marketing and consumerism team that we partner with a lot. But my answer was not gonna be conventional. Okay. So you get a lot of people saying, let's have billboards for this. Let's have commercials for this. And we have actually driven likelihood to recommend within the four walls of our organization because there's no better reference than the patient who's already experienced us. When you go to get a doctor, you're calling your friends, you're calling your family, and they've had an experience that they're going to share with you that's going to influence whether or not you're going to go to a doctor 
or to a health system, right? You're going to use that network. Right. And so the systems that we've put in place internally to drive improvement have driven the trust factor, which has even increased our brand preference in the market. We can actually show correlation between likelihood to recommend and brand preference. That has helped us with our brand right then and there, what's happening within the four walls. And so I think sometimes we get caught up and we have to do all of these things outside like a billboard or something. And I would argue, focus what's happening within the four walls of your organization. The word will spread. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not a need for marketing. Certainly there is. But I think that sometimes we shift our focus to the area with the least greatest need. I think we need to focus internally because that's where you're going to get your biggest bang for your buck, so to speak. That's my own personal opinion about that. But I do think we have a long way to go with branding in healthcare in general. We're just not as far down the road as many other people in the United States, you know, like airline industry and hotel or hospitality. You say it's just your opinion, but it's not because I share it (laughs) as well. And I've been a big proponent of branding and using your employees almost like super consumers. Because think about it, when you have an employee of Prisma Health, if someone's in their little network Mm -hmm. saying, hey, what do you think about this? Whatever they say is going to carry its weight in gold. And it could be good or maybe not. Hopefully in your case, it's good. But that's so important, that employee perspective and the way they can serve as a brand ambassador. Keeping with brand preference... I'm going to ask you, we've got a new feature called the Mm -hmm. speed round. Mm. And I'm going to actually ask you some brand preferences. You didn't know this. (laughs) But these are all fun, lightweight, top of mind questions. So let's dig in on this. First one, Coke or Pepsi? Ooh, I don't drink soda anymore. But if I had to choose, it would be Pepsi. See, people have said, you know, (laughs) why are you asking this in a healthcare context? But a lot of people either in the past or now have a preference there. How about fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Fiction. Okay, that's good. We don't always hear that one. Morning person or night owl? Oh, I'm a night owl. Same here. (laughs) Favorite TV show of all time? Friends. Thank you for not hesitating on that. Some people have been stumped by that. And then last one, Boston or New York? Boston. Okay. (laughs) Very well said. You breezed right through that. A plus. Let's come back to healthcare. You use a phrase that I'll be honest, I'd never heard before I heard you say it. And you talk about how healthcare, you kind of classify healthcare as socio-technical work. I'll mm-hmm. make sure I'm getting that right. Socio-technical work. What do you mean by that? What we mean by that, if you look back to the beginning of medicine and what that relationship looked like between a physician and a patient was they went to your home. They had their medicine bag with them. They went to your home and they administered medical attention to you there, right there in your home. And then as we grew and medicine became what it did and healthcare became what it did, it became bigger, right? And then we had teams of people and we started interacting with technology inside of work. Now we're a complete complex ecosystem where we're interacting with EMRs. We're interacting with, I think of the technology in the the OR and think of the technology that our providers are having to interact with every day just to provide care. Think of telehealth. So now we're in a situation where we've got human beings interacting with technical interfaces all day long and not always in a great way in serving the teams of humans that are providing care. And so we have a challenge ahead of us in healthcare to look at those systems and make sure they're working for our people and not rubbing up against them and making their work harder. So we no longer can think of it as just a human thing. We have to start looking at it for what it is, which is 
we've got technology and humans working together in healthcare now. And we can't ignore that. And I think there needs to be a lot more attention paid to how those systems are interacting with our team members. That addition of the word socio is so important. And actually, it's so interesting when you bring up that example of technology and how technology can sometimes be an impediment to mm -hmm. those connections. I will never forget, we did a survey using our Market Insights suite of tools at NRC Health, and we got comments back from a senior who lived in Colorado who loved telemedicine. And we don't always hear that from seniors, okay? It's gotten a lot better now with seniors using technology more. But this was a few years ago, and she said, it reminds me of the house call. Because I can sit on my couch and talk to my doctor and interface just fine. And she was old enough to remember when the doctor did come to her with that black leather bag and delivered that. So you're absolutely right. And we need to overcome some of those technology issues that have become barriers and be honest about that. There's another word that you use, Corby. You use this word systems. Mm -hmm. And I've picked up on this. And I feel a lot of times when we say system, there's a negative connotation to mm. it. Or there's been something that's turned and we say, oh, well, the system in place doesn't allow, or it's an excuse or a reason, or it's something that just sort of takes over. What's your view of mm -hmm. systems and the scaling work that you've done and the systems you've deployed? How do you view that term and maybe how should we? I view it very positive because I know what we've done with it, but I can certainly appreciate that the word system can have a negative connotation. I think even from a system like an organization, like the system is telling us to do X, right? And we don't have control. So I think systems for me are just the ways we have a program or a process that we all gather around and work together in an organization to accomplish whatever we need to accomplish, right? What we don't want is if we have 18 hospitals, every hospital is doing something different about the same problem we're trying to solve, right? We don't get anywhere when we do that. So systems for us is creating a jointly created system. So we believe in creating systems with our teams, with our patients, not to them, not for them. So if we're creating these systems together, then the systems are just the way we go about conducting business every day and treating our patients and so for us, it doesn't take on that negative connotations. It's just how we function as an organization to provide care. That's how I would categorize it, but I can certainly appreciate negative connotation towards system. But for us, it's not about, I could see it taking on the connotation of being rigid, right? Everything yeah. has to be done this way. There's no flexibility. There's no ingenuity. And that's actually part of the systems within the Pulse program are that we want you to participate in the creation of systems. I like your definition a lot more. I think we could all change our perspective a little bit on that. I too also think that system sort of became this avatar of sorts of healthcare getting bigger and mergers and branding ourselves as healthcare systems. And I think it's easy sometimes for employees who don't feel engaged, maybe aren't feeling like they're part of the system to point out the system or blame the system or sort of make a divide between them and the patient versus the mm -hmm. system. You've been able to overcome this at Prisma Health and what you've built there with those systems, as you put it. And that makes a ton of sense. If someone's listening and they say, yeah, we've got a little bit of a negative approach to our systems, or we've had some bad experiences with trying to build what we thought were good systems, and we want to start fresh. Mm. And tomorrow we want to go in and start those first processes, because these are not built overnight. Nope. What would be some advice that you would give them, some steps that they could take? 
to take a more positive outlook on systems and build it in a more positive way where they are? First thing that I would say is we're not totally there yet. It is a journey. So that's That's one thing that I'll say is that we just had some restructuring going within our own organization. And one of the things that I've been really saying as part of that communication is we really want to remove the language of corporate this, local that. We are a team of teams. And I've been very intentional about saying that so that we can start having that conversation. So I would say we've still got some room to grow in that space. But for somebody who's looking to embark on this journey, where do they start? I would say the first thing that they need to do is decide as an organization, all the way from the top down, that they want to create one operating system. That there has to be a decision made somewhere that we want to have one system that we're not a holding company, we're an operating company, right? And how do you define that for your organization? And then you go through a process of branding it with your teams, right? You literally go, we voted on the name Pulse with our organization. So now people feel bought into, we got to be a part of this. Then you get to decide all the things that would go into an operating system. So you start thinking about your safety science and RCAs and all the things that are important there and then experience and then improvement methodologies for the organization and start organizing it very systematically within the operating system. So you're starting to get very, very structured. And that's super, super important. But now what happens is now we're talking about the same system all the time. And so even though the system's evolving and the components of the system get added, you might modify, the system still stays the same. And so everyone's unified around whatever you're calling that and you're branding it. So now everyone's on board, you start moving in that direction and we're all on the same page. It just really creates a sense of cohesiveness, a sense of unity. And in a complex environment like we live in, in healthcare, it really starts to create that structure, enables our frontline team members to do the work that they do every day. And so I would say starting there is probably the biggest step forward, I think. That initial commitment around it Mm -hmm. is so powerful. And then, you know, the way that you describe this in the Pulse program, you can plug and play different things and you Mm -hmm. will. I think part of the issue in healthcare is we think we're going to design the perfect system and we'll never need another one again. And I think that's how we ended up with lots of different systems. So you're asked to step one, commit to one operating system is really powerful. And do you feel too that when you say pulse at Prisma Health, that people, whether it's a different part of the system or a different component, there's a certain common thread that's been weaved throughout. So people sort of are on the same page, even if they're Mm -hmm. talking about different things. So let me give you some context. Pulse in our organization has only fully been live since last October. We're not even at a year mark yet. Wow. So we're still in the phase of if you went to the frontline team member, they may not know exactly what Pulse is yet. Sure. But a lot of other people do. So we're still in that maturation phase, but it's on the desktop. There's an icon for the Pulse program on the desktop. So if I'm an EVS team member, I can go to any desktop in the organization, click on it and see exactly metrics down to the department level about how we're doing on operations, on quality, safety, experience. So transparency is a huge part of this. So everyone sees it now. But again, it was very intentional branding, very intentional to put it on the desktop so that everyone felt like they had a piece of it and could have access to it. There's a playbook on every unit, physical paper playbook on every unit that we print once a year. But there's a digital copy that gets updated more and is on the Pulse program. So when they go click on that icon, it takes them to the Pulse program page. So very intentionally branded. I would say we still are growing 
learning and improvement organization. Of course. So we are still in that maturation phase. But again, in less than a year, what we've been able to do because we put this kind of program in place is pretty incredible. We still have a lot of work to do, though. You're very honest about that, but I think it's incredible what you've done with consistency of that program just in the short time that you've done it. Because in healthcare, we love to trade in inconsistency, not ever make anything appear the same way in two different places, but you've really overcome that. And again, the focus on internal branding, I think, is so powerful. Mm -hmm. So let's imagine you're walking the halls of Prisma Health and maybe you're getting into an elevator and you've encountered someone who's on their first day day one of their first job in healthcare, they are just starting their journey. What is a piece of advice you would pass on to them in that elevator? I think what I would say to the person who's about to embark on the healthcare journey is that you're going to have amazing experiences. And unlike any other profession, you're going to get to touch lives in the way you've never expected. And I say this a lot. A day of work for us is often the life event in the life of a patient. For many of our patients, it is a diagnosis that's going to change the rest of their life. For me, to somebody new in healthcare, it would be you're going to have the opportunity to have an impact like you've never had an impact before. Because the why we do this is the most important thing. The systems, the processes, we can work all that out. We can create these great systems to help support the work but you're going to get to do things and impact people's lives. And we get those letters, we get that feedback. And in fact, to your earlier comment about, you know, competitors and brand preference in the market, when we get letters from people who work for our competitors and they've come to our hospitals and received amazing care and they write us a letter yeah. and they say, wow, thank whatever you all are doing. It's fantastic. That's when we know we're doing something right and we're not perfect. Right. And sure. we have room to improve just like everyone else. And it's those comments that really fuel us. So that's what I would say to somebody coming in to help. They would benefit from that conversation. And you fueled us as well. I mean, that's fantastic. The best type of feedback you can get. And what you've done with systems and the learning and improving organization, we absolutely love. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your stories. And we'll keep the conversation going again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And thank you to everyone for listening to another episode of the Patient No Longer podcast. And that's the show. Thank you for joining us today as we exchange ideas, share struggles, and celebrate triumphs. Come back next month as we continue our journey through the magical and maddening world of healthcare. Never miss a show. Subscribe at nrchealth.com slash patient no longer or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Ryan Donahue, and you've been listening to Patient No Longer, a presentation of NRC Health, the founders and lead architects of human understanding in healthcare. Until next time. The president and CEO of the Barrel Institute, Jason Wolf, will join me next week to explore the idea to care is human and to talk through how hospitals and health systems can use this concept to deliver the best possible care. The essence of healthcare is in really just the health part, which we focus on, but it's the actual delivery of care as an action. And the reality of caring for me, like this idea of to care as human, emerges from who we are, specifically as human beings caring for human beings. It's an innate and built-in part of our human DNA. Don't miss this important conversation next week. Be sure to subscribe and follow Patient No Longer wherever you get your podcasts.